Good to see you guys. Everybody good? All right. So uh, if you've been with us before, uh, you know that I don't always have a whiteboard with me. Uh, I'll try and, for people on the sides, I'll try and, like, move and stuff so you can see. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Uh, if you've been with us for over the past uh, few months, we've been going through First and Second Samuel. Uh, last week, we actually finished First Samuel. And then uh, we have our Christmas party next week, uh, which is going to be awesome. And then we won't meet until the second Tuesday of January. So, uh, yeah, so after next week, we won't meet again on Tuesday night, at least, until um, January 9th. Yeah, 9th. Um, so uh, that's just a heads up for you. But so because of that, I didn't want to, like, jump into Second Samuel, and then we wait, like, you know, like three or four weeks before we kind of get to continue in Second Samuel. So I want to do something a little bit different tonight. Um, you know, this past Sunday, if you were uh, in one of our Sunday morning small groups uh, on Sunday, you know, usually, um, usually I'm not out there for both small group hours. Uh, usually I'm out there. Uh, Brock is kind of leading the 10 o'clock, and then I'm leading 11.30. But Brock wasn't able to make it uh, this past Sunday. So I was out there for both. I was out there helping, uh, helping lead for both 10 o'clock and for 11.30. And one thing that was really, really cool, if, for those of you who were there, is that at least on the guys' side of things, we had some really deep conversations, uh, really deep, like, theological conversations. We were really kind of studying, you know, getting deep into some, uh, some pretty theological topics, right? And personally, like, I love getting to do this. I love spending time getting to answer questions. You know, like, every week, I, you know, I love getting to get up here and, and kind of preach the word to you, and I love getting to do that. But I think probably my favorite thing is to is to like, you know, kind of is to not just teach, but like to especially like to answer questions and stuff like that, right? Like, uh, so for those of you who know, like sometimes we go to Chick Fil A and we kind of sit in the Chick Fil A parking lot and like people ask questions and stuff like that. You know, like uh, I want you to know, like one, like that never annoys me. Like that is my favorite thing to get to do, uh, is to be able to uh, is to be able to kind of help bring some clarity. And over the past over the past several years, man, I've had countless conversations. Some uh, those conversations with many of you in this room, and, and it's been really awesome getting to do that. Uh, but I think one of the things that's important is for me to understand, is for you guys to understand what my job is as your student pastor, right? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 really kind of gives this picture. It's, it's Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this. He says, and he, meaning God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what that verse says is essentially this, is that, that the primary job for me as, a, as your student pastor, as a pastor or a shepherd, as he would say in this passage, my primary job and objective is to equip you is to equip you not only uh, to, you know, not to just do this or to do that. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry, to live out your Christian life in such a way that glorifies God and fulfills the Great Commission. That is my job. And what we have for a lot of Christians today, not just young people, old people, in the middle people, this is all people, is that we have a lot of people who are very informed but not equipped. Does that make sense? So you have a lot of Christians who are informed but they're not equipped. And here's what I mean by that. They're able to repeat what they have heard, but they're not able to answer questions for themselves. This is where a lot of people, and maybe you can find yourself in here, and this is, here's one thing I want you to know, that there's no shame in this, right? That, but, but what we have is we have a generation, or actually we have generations of Christians, especially in America, where they don't really know how to, 
how they don't they're almost overwhelmed with what they should do with their bible so they're able to repeat the answers that they have heard but they're not able to come up with answers to the questions that they may have on their own for instance they can it's like some people are really good like they can eat a meal that's been prepared for them but if you were to lock them in a grocery store they would starve to death you see what i'm trying to say like, they could eat the meal that's been prepared for them, but if they were responsible for having to prepare it themselves, they would starve to death. It's, the, it's like the old adage, right? If you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Have you ever heard this? Yeah, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat, he'll eat for a lifetime. So my goal tonight, my goal tonight is to be able to teach you how to fish. Now, we're not going to be able to get into uh, as much of it as I want to. Like, the topic, the things we're going to talk about tonight, we, like, we could spend hours talking about this. We could do, like like series on these type of things. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of hit just like high surface level things at this. And it's ultimately what I want to talk to you about tonight is this. When you have questions, how do you find the answers to them? How, when you have questions, when you have questions about theology or about God or you have questions about the Bible or you have questions about moral issues or you have questions about ethical issues, you have questions about the things that as young people in our culture today, you're going to be faced with certain things and you need to be able to know how to answer. Right, when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the LGBTQ uh, type discussions, when it comes to the abortion discussions, when it comes to the things that people are really passionate about, how do you and I as Christians come to a biblical worldview and answering a lot of these different things? And that's what we're going to try and do tonight. So I'm gonna, what I want to try and do, we're going to see how this works, is we're going to kind of walk through this, and then I want to kind of give you opportunities to, to ask questions afterwards, okay? So what we'll do is when you go to your small groups, uh, we've done this once before, is that I'm going to stay in here, and if you have, like, specific questions about things that we talked about and you want to ask, like, we'll do, like, a, a Q&A in here. Uh, if you don't want to, then you're cool. You can go to small groups, okay? But I just want to kind of help you guys out with that. You guys with me? All right. You smell what I'm stepping in? You tracking? Okay. First thing I want to get into, before we go any further, I want to open with a verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I want this to be the verse that you keep in mind whenever you have questions, especially difficult questions. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, this is at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And ultimately, here's to kind of give you a little picture of where we're at. So the people of Israel, Moses had led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They, uh, he gives them the law at Mount Sinai. This is the book of Leviticus, right? God, that Moses gives the, uh, God gives Moses the law. And then they wander the wilderness for 40 years. And then they're about to, a whole generation has come and gone, and now they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is giving the law again. That word Deuteronomy, Deuteros, right? Deuter Deuteronomy, what that is, it's the second law. It's the second giving of the law. That's what that word means. So he is repeating the law to them so, and encouraging them of, hey, this is what God commands of you. And at, in doing so, in the, in the midst of reminding them of this law, reminding them of how to obey, he's going to remind the people also how how God speaks. And there's two things that are very important for us. We talk about wanting to seek answers and study scripture. There's two things that we need to keep in mind that we see in this verse. First, God does not reveal everything. 
God does not reveal everything to men or to women. That there are some things that only God knows. There's some things that only God knows. And the Bible will frequently, will frequently refer to this. It will say, like, the mystery of his will, if you've ever heard this. Or Isaiah 55, where it says that my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, right? This idea that, man, that, that, that God, that there are things that only God knows and you and I do not know. There are things that God has hidden from us that, are, that, 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 that only he knows. Now, this, here's what this also means, is that God does not give you all the answers but here's what you need to know. Is just be, there are going to be times where just because you do not know the answers does not mean that there are no answers. You make, this makes sense. There's going to become things that maybe are difficult to understand or you have a lot of questions. And, like, and, 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 and what you see is that there are some things that God does not reveal to us, but that does not mean that there are not good explanations. One of the mysteries of his will is why does he not reveal everything to us? I mean, we could kind of assume that it's probably because we can't fathom and grasp everything. But ultimately what we're seeing here is that there are some things that God chooses not to reveal. But the second thing that we see in Deuteronomy 29, 29 is this, is that there are many things that God has revealed. There are many things that God has revealed. And with, what, and with the things that God has revealed, you and I have everything that we need to live a life that glorifies God. Everything that God has revealed in his word, everything that God has revealed is everything that we need to be able to live a life that glorifies God. And this is what we're going to look at tonight. What we're going to look at tonight is, is, is we want to we dive into what has God revealed? How do we discover the answers to problems or questions that we may have based on the things that God has revealed? So, I want, and I want you to know this, that, the, that most of your theological and moral questions that you have, the Bible can answer. A lot of times we say, okay, well, like, I don't know, so I'm just going to have to leave that to God. And it's like, okay, that's, that's good, I get that. But I think a lot of times we just say that because we don't want to do the hard work of finding the answers. Many of the questions that people ask, I, I get this a lot, especially, like, students or whatever, and they're like, man, I have a lot of questions, but I don't think you're ready for them. And I'm like, man, I don't think you understand, like, I've heard a lot of questions, dude. You know, like, and this, I want you guys to understand this. That maybe there's questions that you have that you really wrestle with. Understand that you are not the only person to ever think of that question. And 90% of the time, the Bible has answers for you. Right? The Bible has answers for you. Don't fall into a blind faith Christianity. Right? Don't fall into a blind faith Christianity where people say, well, you have a, a blind faith. Again, I want you to understand that there are things that we accept Simply by faith, we accept them, we do not understand them, but we accept them. But even this acceptance of these things is not blind, right? Because our faith in God in the midst of the things that he has kept secret is based on the faith that we have in the things that he has revealed. Does this make sense? So it's, it's because of what we know about what he has shown us, that gives us faith in the midst of the things that he has not shown us. So our faith is not blind, so here's the question. How do I differentiate between the secret things and the revealed things? Whenever I have a question, how do I know whether this is something that is secret, that only God knows, and how do I know this is something that God has revealed? You want to know how you know? This is how you know. Is that you dive into the revealed things until you can't go any further. That's how you know. 
You dive into what Scripture has said until you can't go any further. And where you have reached the end of your ability to comprehend, when you have reached your ability of the, of the Scriptures to explain something to you, when you have reached that end, that's where you say, you know what, some things only God knows. And you rest in that. So that's the first thing we're gonna, that I want us to kind of understand. So, now, when we talk about the things that God has revealed, how do we seek answers based off the things that God has revealed? There's three things I want us to do tonight, and, I, and it's three things, and I'm greatly simplifying it. But I want you to know, whenever you ask me a question, whenever you ask me a question, Chick-fil-A parking lot, lobby, in here, whatever it is, this is the process that I go through. There's, two, there's three things. First thing is this, know God. Know God. If you want to be able to answer questions, know who God is. When you ask me a question, the first thing that I do is what do I know to be true about God and how does that apply to this question? It's, it's, it's not very complicated. It's what do I know to be true about God and how does that truth apply to what I have just been asked or about this situation or question that I am confronted with. Everything in the Bible, I want you to understand this, everything in Scripture and everything in life is understood properly through understanding who God is. You want to know how you know you're a sinner? It's when you understand the holiness of God. When you understand that God is holy, you understand that you are not. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the vision of the throne room of God, and, and, and he see, when he sees this vision, what is his immediate response? He says, woe is me. I am, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. What does he see? He says he sees God, and the first response he has is, I am a sinful man. How did he know that? Did God say, Isaiah, you're a sinful man? No. What he saw was he saw the glory of God, the holiness of God, and then through knowing God, he knew everything he needed to know about himself. When you know God, and I'll tell you this, most of your questions would be answered if you just knew God. Most of them. There's a lot of questions that we think are very complicated. But when you know who God is, all of a sudden they don't, they're, not as, they're not that difficult to understand. Now, I think it's important that we also understand this, that there is a slight but massively important difference between knowing God and comprehending God. Okay? So, there, so I want us to understand that there's a difference between... I mean, whenever I write on a whiteboard, like my spelling, I'm all self-conscious of my spelling, right? Knowing God versus comprehending God. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Man, comprehending is a long word. All right. Big difference between comprehending God and knowing God. When I talk about the knowability of God, the ability to know God. Here's what I mean. The knowability of God is the ability of someone to have an intimate knowledge of who God is without the need for fully understanding him. That's what we mean. It's the ability for someone to have an intimate knowledge of who God is without the need to full, for fully understanding him. See, the knowing of God, this is important, the knowing of God is based on how God has revealed himself and it is not limited to the person's capacity to understand. Here's, here's what we mean. Can a child know God? Absolutely they can. Why? Because it's a knowing God is not based on the person's capacity to grasp who he is. Because here's the thing. A child's 
if we're going to go percentage-wise, God is so vast that a child's ability to comprehend the fullness of God and your ability to understand the fullness of God are actually relatively probably very similar. You don't have to fully comprehend God to know God. And this is, what, this is a very important fact, that a young child and an old man both have the ability to know God in an intimate and in a relational way. So we see knowing God, but then we see the second thing is comprehending God. Now, comprehending God, on the other hand, is a task that we as humans do not have the ability to do. We cannot comprehend God. Comprehending God is the attempt to fully understand him. And you can't. You cannot. See, due to the vastness and the magnitude of how big our God is, you could not even begin to fully grasp all that he is. And that's good news. Because if he is, if you could fully wrap your your mind around everything that God is, then why worship him? Why worship a God that you can hold in your hands? See, due to the, the, the magnitude of who God is, there is no one who is able to fully comprehend God. And honestly, this is the entire point of the book of Job. If you ever wrote the book of Job, a lot of us talk about it's how you persevere in the midst of suffering. And there is that in there, but that's not the point. The point of the book of Job, if you've ever read it, is Job is suffering, and, and throughout the entire book is him having this conversation with his friends about why is God doing this? And what you find is that Job, his three friends, and another random guy that shows up at the very end, all of them have a misunderstanding of God. They do not understand God fully. Now, Job is faithful to God. He knows God. That's the whole point of the book is that he starts out where he's a righteous man. He knows God, but he does not comprehend God. And that's why at the very end of the book, God says to Job, hey, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I, like, do you know where the, where the, the sun goes? Do you know how, uh, how the ocean knows where to stop? Do you know? And it's God basically saying, look, don't begin to think that you can comprehend me. See, not only can we not fully comprehend all that God is, we also cannot fully comprehend any of his individual attributes, such as his justice, his love, his mercy, his holiness, meaning this, right, that you can know that God is love. You can know God's love, but throughout your entire life, you will never be able to comprehend God's love. You can know it. You can know it deeply and intimately, but you'll never be able to fully comprehend and grasp it. However, we can begin to comprehend. We can begin to start to grasp it based on how God has revealed it, right? Romans 5a, what does it say? Is that God demonstrates or God shows his love for us And then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning this, is that if you want to begin to grasp God's love, you look at the cross. That's how God has begun to reveal. He's begun to demonstrate or show it to us. Now, what we see is that God has allowed us glimpses, but due to his greatness and his sheer magnitude, our inability to contain the fullness of who he is, leads us to say this, is that God is fully knowable, but totally incomprehensible. And some of you are like, what does this have to do with answering my questions? What what does this have to do with answering my questions? It's important for you to understand that when you go to seek answers, you must first seek to know who God is. And know this, is that knowledge of God is gained only through revelation, not through investigation. 
to understand and find the answers to your questions, it is not because you are a Bible scholar. It's because you know God. And there is a difference. The devil is a Bible scholar. And he does not know God. You see where I'm going? Is that knowing God is, uh, sorry, knowledge of God is gained through revelation, him revealing himself, and not investigation, you investigating him. Let me read you some verses. Matthew eleven twenty-seven. This is Jesus speaking. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to, uh, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What does this mean? Is that the only way to know God is for, is for God, Jesus, through, through Christ, for him to be revealed to you. Which is incredible news, because what does this mean? Is that God, who God, the great and majestic and powerful and uh, holy God, the only way that we even know him is because he has chosen to reveal himself. No one has found him. No one has found God. God has stepped down and revealed himself which is an act of mercy and love on his part. But here's the sad part, is that you and I are spiritually blind apart from Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person, please, this is like, Really important. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I are spiritually blind. And why is this a problem? Because of John 4.4. 4. God is spirit. And who worships, and whoever worships him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning this, is that you and I, apart from the Holy Spirit, we are spiritually blind. And we cannot know God because God is spirit. So in order for us to be able to know anything, morally, ethically, theologically, it must be through a saving relationship with Jesus. Apart from that, you may be able to string together philosophical words, but you will never, it will always be up here. And this is where many people find themselves. And I would say that many of you, and I'm not saying you in a general sense. I am thinking of specific people. That your knowledge of God is all up here. It's all trying to comprehend him. And there's no true intimate knowledge of who he is. It's all head knowledge. And right now, you come in here, and you may seek an, exp- an emotional experience, but if you're honest with yourself, you're probably spiritually blind. So we can come to know. So we can come to this conclusion that the only way to be able to know God is through the revelation of Himself to us through the power of His Holy Spirit. So understand this: in your attempts to seek answers to your questions, which we all have questions. In your attempts to seek answers to your questions, keep this in mind, that your venture to seek answers is a spiritual one before it is an intellectual one. 
is that your desire to find answers, your journey of finding these answers, it is a spiritual journey, not just an intellectual journey. And if your desire to find answers to your questions, all you're doing is this intellectual battle, and you never pray about it, then you're starting off on the total wrong foot. So that we see, so does that make sense? So you want to know God. Know who God is. Whenever you read the Bible, the first thing you should seek to understand is what does this reveal to me about God? Not what does this teach me about myself. Not what does this teach me about my friends. What does this teach me about how I should live out on Monday? No. What does this teach me about God? And then based off that truth, how does that truth about God impact the way that I live on Monday? Does this make sense? All right, so know God. The second thing is this, know the Bible. Now, when I say know the Bible, some of you are like, great, thanks, right? Yeah, if I knew the Bible, I wouldn't, this wouldn't be so hard. But I don't necessarily mean like just read it, which you should. I don't necessarily just mean read it. And this is where probably we're going to spend most of our time tonight. It's not just read it, but know how to read it. Know how to study it. I think that we spend a lot of time telling people that they should read their Bibles, and we don't spend a whole lot of time teaching them how to read their Bibles. I think if this is one thing for me that I wish I would have learned younger was how do I read this book? How do I read this? How do I study it? How do I understand it? See, when we talk about answering certain theological, moral, or ethical questions— the first thing I ask is, okay, what do I know to be true about God? And how does that apply to here? And then it's, what do I know to be true in God's word? What do I know, in the, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible have to say about this? Now, there are a few things that we need to keep in mind. Your understanding of what the Bible is, is just as important as your understanding of what the Bible says. Okay, I'll say this again. Your understanding of what the Bible is, is just as important as your understanding of what the Bible says. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When I say, what is the Bible? Well, we're going to see, well, there's two verses. What is the Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what do we see? Is that according to Scripture, Scripture is God's Word. It is God's Word. It is the very revelation of God Himself. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, where do we go from here? Like, that's great, but why do you believe that the Bible is true? How do we believe the Bible is true? Why do I, how can I tell you that what the Bible is true is greater than what some person on TikTok says is true? Like, how can I grasp that? What do, what do I want to do? How do I understand this? Well, I love this quote from Bodie Bauckham. Bodie Bauckham is a, a preacher, evangelist, really, really good stuff. And this is his explanation of the Bible. He says, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses reporting supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed their writings were divine and not human in origin. That's why I believe the Bible. 
Now, when we talk about what is the Bible, it is a collection of 66 books written by approximately 40 different authors over a span of around 2,000 years, over a distance of three different continents, written in three different languages, all pointing to one truth. And it's God's revelation of himself to his people. Now, there's a whole lot of questions that I know people have about how the Bible was put together and all of these different things, and I can answer those for you, but I don't, for the sake of time now, I'm going to kind of save those for later. If you want to ask later, we can get into it and we can talk about it. But here's the thing, is that we believe that all of these authors wrote under the direct revelation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Because So when people say that the Bible is a man-written book, yes, it is written by men who were under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Meaning this, it is the exact, it is the words of God. It is the words of God. So because it is the words of God, there's three key things we need to know about the Bible. That the Bible is first inerrant. It is inerrant. When I say inerrant, what I mean by that is it is without error. That it is without error. There are no errors or contradictions in the Bible. Despite what many people will say, there is not. And people are, and, and whatever, here's a, a fun thing for you. Most people, whenever they're trying to, a lot of people, when they, they don't try to debate the existence of God, really. They, what they'll do is they'll try to debate the reliability of the Bible. And they'll typically, a lot of people will say, well, like, there's, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. And don't aggressively, but just simply ask, could you point me out one? And very rarely are they actually able to do that. And if they are able to do that, it is always taken out of context. Or it's always one of them is greatly misunderstood. Right? So one, the Bible is without error. Second, it is infallible. Meaning this, is that when it is properly understood, it is impossible for it to lead you to error. Right? So there's no errors in it. And when it is properly understood, it will not lead you to error. And then thirdly, it is authoritative, meaning this, it is the very words of God, and it is the source of authority for everything that we believe as Christians. Everything we believe as Christians is based on what is written in this book. Not a pope, not, an apo not you know, extra-biblical apostles, not Gnostic writings, not apocryphal writings. What is written from Genesis to Revelation that is the authority for what we believe as Christians. Now, why do we believe this? Well, there's a crazy amount of evidence. There's a crazy amount of evidence that we can get into about why the Bible is reliable. But there's one main thing. There's one thing to keep it simple. Why do I believe that the Bible is the word of God? Because Jesus believed it. And Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we can talk about all the ridiculous historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But here's the thing. Jesus claimed to be God. Hey, guys, let's like, shh. right? That Jesus claimed to be God. And he claimed to be God. And what he said is, I cl claim to be God, and he foretold that he would die on a cross, and then said that he would rise again from the dead. And all historical evidence points to the fact that he did rise from the dead. So here's the thing. If Jesus said that the Bible is the word of God, and he d stayed dead, we have no confidence that this is actually the word of God. But because he did, because he did rise from the dead. And he said that, proving himself to be God, and as God said that this is his word, that we have no choice but to believe him. 
You have no choice but to believe him. Now, there are a lot of questions, like I said, about how the Bible is put together, and there's so much we can get into about that. But for the, for the most part, we're just going to kind of keep going, right? So we talk about what the Bible is. Now we get to the real fun stuff is how do you read it? And how do you use it? Right? Whenever you ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? It can, also, it can often seem overwhelming, can't it? Whenever someone asks you, hey, what does the Bible say about this? And you see 66 books and thousands of verses, and you're like, where do I even begin? Where do I even start when it comes to, 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 to trying to find this? It seems like an overwhelming task. Where do I even begin to look for these type of things? First, I want to encourage you something. I want to encourage you with something really, really simple, right? Is that knowing your Bible is like anything in life. Okay? Knowing your Bible is like anything in life. It takes practice and it takes time and commitment. I think a lot of people feel discouraged because they look at people who may know the Bible very, very well, and they're like, man, I can never do that. I can never get to that point. I could, you know, and they, and they feel discouraged. But here's what I want you to understand, is that everything in life takes time and commitment. Don't expect to wake up one day and be, you know, Charles Spurgeon. You want to, you know, so I've been playing drums for a long time. I've been playing, I started, I got my first drum set when I think I was... I was like maybe eight or nine years old. Uh, so I've been playing drums, I guess, roughly for about 20 years. And when I first started playing drums, uh, I did not know what I was doing. But I had to remind myself of something. My favorite drummer is a guy named Neil Peart. Some of you are like, I have no idea who that is. That's okay. I'll pray for you. Uh, Neil Peart is the drum, or he passed away recently, but Neil Peart was the drummer for a band named Rush. Have you ever heard the song Tom Sawyer? Uh, that's that's uh, Rush. And Neil Peart was a drummer, and he's my favorite drummer ever. But one thing I would always remind myself is this, is that there was a time where Neil Peart did not know how to play drums. Take whatever, whoever you think of as the best of something. There was a time where Tom Brady did not know how to throw a football. There was a time where LeBron James did not know how to shoot a basketball. There was a time where whatever, 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 whatever. And here's what I want you to understand. Just because you don't understand it now does not mean that with hard work, commitment, and time, you will not be able to understand it. You with me? That you absolutely can. But here's a good tip. Here's a good tip for you to know on where to look, where to begin, all right? Understand how the Bible is broken up and memorize the big ideas of those sections. This is, I'm, this is super practical. If you want to know, where do I look for certain topics? Here's what you do. Understand how the Bible's broken up, and then memorize those sections. So here, here's what we'll do. How is the Bible broken up? Give me, somebody just give me a simple uh, example. Uh, what's up? Old Testament and New Testament. All right, we'll go OT, and then you have NT. Right? That's a weird-looking N, but you get it, right? Old Testament, New Testament. Now, what's in the New Testament? The Gospels, what does that mean? Give it to somebody who's never even heard of a Bible before. What's the Gospel? The stories of Jesus, right? We'll go with the stories of Jesus. All right, well, that's in the New Testament. Are, there the, story, are the stories of Jesus uh, and his life on earth written in the, are they in the Old Testament? 
No, they're not. So if you want to say, what does Jesus have to say about a certain topic? Well, you can now narrow it down to these books, right? But in the New Testament, are the teachings and the, are the teachings in the life of Jesus in all of the New Testament books? Like, you know, yes, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? The, or where are the stories of Jesus written? In the Gospels, what are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where are those at? The first four books, right? So now what we've done is we've taken all 66 books and we've now narrowed it down to, I know it's going to be somewhere in these four books, right? What have you done? You've simply just broken it down and memorized the major portion. Now we'll go even deeper, right? When people talk about Jesus never claimed to be God, that's a common argument. Well, each one of these Gospels has a specific focus. If you read them carefully, you'll be able to see this. All right? One of those Gospels is written specifically to, te- to point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God, and that is the Gospel of John. So if people say Jesus never claimed to be God, prove it. And you have 66 books and thousands of verses. You're like, where do I even begin? Well, now you've just narrowed it down to one book. Not because you've memorized it, not because you've memorized all of Scripture, but because you understand how it breaks down. Does this make sense? Right? So you could do this with all of them, right? You could do this with all of them. Old Testament. You can break the Old Testament down into a few different sections. You can go, all right, there's historical narrative. Or historical narrative, and then you have, like, and the law. Right? See, there's, these are, like, the stories of things that happened, right? So, all right, uh, so when I think of the first five, when I think the law, I think the first five books. That's the first five books of the Old Testament is the law. Okay? This is where you get God creating the world, and you get Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all these different things. You keep going, this is where you get to Moses, and the people of Israel, and all these different things. All right? So, the law was given in the first five books. So, if someone says, where are the Ten Commandments? Where are they going to be? All right, the law. Now, if you know, of those first five, of those first five books, Genesis, everything leading up to Egypt, before Egypt, is in Genesis. Everything that happened in Egypt is in Exodus, in Egypt and after Egypt. Well, when was the Ten Commandments given? Right after Egypt. What does that mean? Is that the Ten Commandments are in the book of Exodus. Now, I know that it wouldn't have been in the beginning. It would have had to be towards the end of the book of Exodus. Why? Because the beginning, they were in slavery. And they weren't, so, okay, so what is this? What are you doing? Is that you're breaking it down and just keeping an understanding of what's the main idea. Right? You get historical narrative and law. And then you have, uh, and this leads all the way into the, the kings and different things like this. It was for First and Second Samuel. So First and Second Samuel, if anyone asks you, where's the story of David and Goliath? You know that the stories of David are in First and Second Samuel. Right? Here's what I, and the reason I say this is this, is that a lot of times you'll talk to people and they'll say, well, what does the Bible say about this? And you'll say, they're like, well, it says here in, in this book, blah, 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 blah. Like, I do this a lot. And you can be like, how does he memorize that? I'll be real with you. I rarely can tell you chapter and verse. But I can tell you generally where it is. Why? Because you take, whenever you have something that seems overwhelming, you break it down into manageable chunks. 
manageable chunks. And I can, we can spend a long time on how to do this, but for the sake of time, we're going to keep on going. All right? So the best way to approach the Bible and, and not be overwhelmed by it is to break it into smaller pieces that are easier to digest. Now, once you have found where to look, now you know where to look, okay? Once you've gotten to where to look, how do you read it? How do you begin? How do you understand it? There's, here's the main thing. I have said this a bajillion times, but if I've said it, it I say it a lot because it's important. Understand the context. Context. Know the context. Now, what do I mean by context? Now, I'll give you a little bit more specifics of what I mean by context. There's two kinds of context that you need to understand when you're reading something, right? There's the historical context, and then there's the literary context, right? When I mean historical context, here's what I mean. Historical context is you don't necessarily always find historical context in the, in the text. Historical context is when was this written? When was this written? Where, where, where was this written? What was going on at the time that this was written? What, was, what were some of the things that were going on in the world at this time? Uh, whatever, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. A perfect example of this is when you read the Gospels. See, when you leave the Old Testament, there's, there's priests and there's, uh, and there's uh, all of these different things. You have the prophets and everything. Then when you jump into Matthew, like, oh yeah, and then, that, that, and then when you jump into Matthew... There's Rome is in charge. Where'd Rome come from? Pharisees. There's no Pharisees in the Old Testament. So who are these Pharisee guys? What is going on? And understanding the historical context is going to help you a lot. There's historical context, then there's the literary context. And this is what this means, is what is written around the text that you're reading. If you're reading John 3.16 and you want to know the context, well, what does John 3.15 and 3.17 say? Right? What's the context? Where are we at? How do I understand all these things? What, what, who wrote this? Why did they write it? All of these different things. Does this make sense? You with me? I'm not losing you, am I? Okay, all right. Now, while you're reading something, remember this. Not every time, not your first answer that you come up with. Let's say that you're seeking an answer. You find a text. You read it. You're like, oh, this answers it. Be very careful. Not it, it's very rare that the first answer you come up with is the correct answer. Okay? Not all the time is the first answer you come up with going to be the right answer. And why? So what do we do? All right, here's a possible answer for this. Now what do I do? How do I know if this is the right answer? I ask this. Does this line up to be true with what I know about God? And does this line up with what the rest of the Bible says? Very simple. So here is a good principle for you. Scripture interprets Scripture. And clear passages dictate unclear passages. So let me give you an example. If people were to say, what does the, like, if the, let's say that the Bible says the sky is blue. Right? In the book of Second Opinions, it says the sky is blue. And then you read in First Hesitations, which is not a real book, okay? First hesitation says, well, the sky is not red. Okay, well, if I read the sky is not red, that means, well, it could be pink, it could be yellow, it could be green, it could be, it could be white, it could be black, it could be gray, it could be brown, it could be lavender, it could be chartreuse, right? It could be all of these different colors. I just know it's not red. 
So it helps me a little bit. But you see, there's another verse that says that the sky is blue. So what does this mean? Is that the verse that says the sky is blue is telling you what the other verse actually is pointing to. You with me? Is that clear passages, clear passages that are clear, dictate what the other ones mean. And this is super important right now where we live in a culture where people say, well, the Bible says this when that's not what the Bible says. When people say, hey, you can live however you want. Uh, Jesus loves you. Yes, he does. But no, you can't. Right? This is especially when, so, uh, especially popular when he talks about the topics of like homosexuality and things like that today. Right? You guys. Right? When people talk about like homosexuality and stuff like that, they'll point to a verse that'll say, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. And they're like, see, this doesn't really mean that. It means this, whatever. And ba ba da ba ba da ba And you're like, okay, well, what about, what do you say about this verse that says, uh, those who do this, this, and this, and those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? What do you do with that verse? Because it's very, very clear. What does that mean? Is that that verse that is very, very clear should help you interpret what the one that's not very clear actually means. Because the one that's not very clear is not going to contradict the one that is clear. And this is how, here's the thing. You cannot establish a theology or a belief system on one verse. If it only says it one time and it is not black and white clear, you need to be very cautious. Very cautious. So again, when people say the Bible contradicts itself, please understand that it does not. That oftentimes when people say that, it's because they're misunderstanding one, if not both of those verses. So we know this. Know God, know the Bible, and the last thing is this. Know the point. What's the point of all the Bible? The point is in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this to the crowd in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the law and the prophets is the entire Old Testament. Okay, the law and the prophets is the entire Old Testament. Now, you could break that up more, you know, but... So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, everything in Scripture points to me. Meaning this, is that in your attempts to seek answers, don't be surprised when all of your answers somehow point you back to Jesus. And if your answers do not line up with the gospel of Jesus, you have the wrong answer. Simple. Everything in the Bible is meant to point to Jesus. Everything you read in the Old Testament is meant to point to Jesus. We talked about this Sunday, this past Sunday morning. Think about it. Jesus is the ram in the thicket that was sacrificed in the place of Isaac. Jesus was the ark that, that, Jesus was the ark that Noah and his family hide in to say to be protected from the wrath of God. Jesus is the cleft of the rock that God places Moses in to protect him from his glory. Jesus is the truer and better David who defeats our giant of our sin. Jesus is the truer and better king that does not die, does not, his reign does not end, and that he does not fall short. Jesus is the truer and better prophet who doesn't just speak uh, uh, in, in all these different ways, that he speaks the direct words of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And when people ask questions, you should always point them back to Jesus. 
Because you can know everything about this, but if you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter. If you get Jesus wrong, none of it matters. That's why when we read the Bible, we must read the Bible through a Jesus lens. A Jesus lens. What does this teach me about God? How does that truth impact the way that I live out my life? And then how does Jesus fulfill this? How does this point me to the gospel? And if there's a passage of scripture that you don't understand how it points to the gospel, then it's probably a passage of scripture you just don't understand. That's okay. Study it more. Does this make sense? There is a bajillion things that we could have talked about tonight. And if you have questions, because I know I did not answer everything. But this is a very simple thing, right? You ask a question, all right, know God, know the Bible, know the point. 